So, we will be in Matthew 5, verses, I'm going to, Yaku did uh, till verse 20, but I'm going to backtrack, we'll start reading in Matthew 17, all the way to Matthew 48, and I will, by God's help, get through it all as quickly as possible. Um, It's crazy because Chan, with that picture, just reminded me of something. The way I was feeling um, about this word and the message that God has placed in the Bible in Matthew 5, known as the Sermon on the Mount, it, uh, it's meant to make us feel uncomfortable, um, It's meant to make us feel some sort of way about ourselves because Jesus is getting through and through to our hearts, all the way deep into our hearts in this teaching. And what what the words that Chan was talking about, the value, reminded me of a a saying that I heard a while ago. And it's it's all about the, the glory and the power and the beauty of God's work in our lives. We're crooked sticks that make straight lines, which is, it's the way this word makes me feel is that we're, I'm, we're so unworthy, I'm so unworthy, but in the power of God, he makes us walk this straight path that, he's, that he has us on. And so, Jesus begins this teaching to show us something straighter than what the law of the prophets, what the law of the culture is giving them. He's, he's giving us a straight path into our hearts, into the heart of, a, of, the, of the son and daughter living in the kingdom of God. So we'll start in verse 17 of chapter 5. And Jesus says, Do not think that I, that I come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever teaches them, he shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you fool or you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it 
throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity or sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false, false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes or no. Anything abounding these is of evil. You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collector do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And when I was reading this and preparing, um, Kayla and I, for, uh, for one of her classes when she was in criminology, she had to go into the courtrooms and just do did, uh, little case studies for the bail hearings that was happening in the courts. And there was a guy that was in a, whatever situation he was in, the judge awarded or gave him bail. And when we were leaving the courtroom that day and driving, I saw the guy. Just kind of wandering. And I looked at Kayla and I told her, there has to be something more that the system does for people like this. Like, they let them go, but they just let them wander. The guy lived, if I remember correctly about the case, the guy lived in Brampton. He's in, he's in a holding block in, in Milton, and the, the jailhouse and the judge lets him go on bail in Milton with no money, uh, no way of redeeming. The person, except, wow, Lord, except uh, waiting for his trial case. And I said to Caleb, there has to be more. And what Jesus is doing through this teaching is giving us that more. He, 
He literally takes us out of our prison cells of our sin. And then says, come follow me. You know, Kath spoke about a couple weeks ago about God revealing himself to these Gentile wise men through the stars. And Yaku preached about the blessing that God is to every single one of us in every single situation. It's not just the poor in spirit that are blessed, but everyone in a situation of being poor in spirit is blessed by God because he's revealed himself to us. And all of those different beatitudes, the way Yaku spoke about them. And when, when the verse 48 tells us, therefore you are to be perfect in these teachings as your heavenly Father is perfect, God has revealed himself to us, has, is showing us a way to live his life, and then Jesus says, but you have to be perfect. And that's, that stood out to me because if we, th- if we read the book of Hebrews, for example, it gives us this chapter on all these faith fathers and all these stories of real faith, heroes of our faith that we can look to. And what, what stood out to me was someone like Noah and Abraham, early on in the story of, of, of God and his people, he, the Bible explains Noah and Abraham as perfect in another sense. It's, they call them righteous and blameless. And it's literally not therefore be perfect, therefore be sinless. It's therefore be perfect in the sense that God is calling us to a custom of life that's his type of life, his type of kingdom. And I did background research on this. And the word, the word perfect is a, is a, is a growth of mental and moral character, but it's, it's, a, it's a growing process with a goal in mind, and that's what I'm going towards. I may fail and topple over and make mistakes on the way, but Jesus lifts you up, and that's your goal again. That's the course that you're bound to, controlled by. And Hebrews 10.14 gives us such encouragement because it is difficult to live this type, this type of life that Jesus is saying, come follow me. It is difficult for us at times. But look what the, the writer in Hebrews says to us. For by a single offering, he, Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified by him. By the single offering of Jesus dying on the cross for us, revealing himself to us, he's perfected you to have that goal in mind. He's revealed his kingdom to you that there is nothing else that is worthy to continually go into. You know, and we continually without God will continually make these prison cells for us that we're comfortable in. We may be released from a jail cell, but if spiritually or physically, but if we don't have the revelation of God in our lives, we will go to a different place and somehow manufacture that physical cell somewhere else and feel comfortable because we've cleaned up the place a little better, but we're still in the same cell. And that's what Jesus will not have. That's what his teaching is about. He's going straight to our hearts. It's not about the outward appearance. It's not even about behavior modifications. It's about changing the whole spectrum of our lives. So he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother 
will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Interestingly enough, that phrase hell of fire, it was a vivid picture for the people of that time. Outside of the city of Jerusalem was a garbage dump that was consistently burning from the garbage that the people of Jerusalem were throwing into it. Fires all day long. And Jesus is painting a picture in the minds of the people that if you continue harboring these feelings of anger towards somebody else, that is what you're liable to. It is fire inside you burning, and it's supposed to be thrown out into the garbage. And he says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. If we're worshiping, if you're coming to worship, if you're, if you're doing anything that is some sort of ritual in our lives, Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go seek mercy with that person and then come and sacrifice. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And here Jesus gives us a practical example of a kingdom culture and an earthly culture. Our anger in terms of the law, if I'm in trouble with the law and Alessandra, let's say, is suing me, my anger, the way we deal with it more often than not, is we're both going to the system of the law. He has his arguments against me, building up anger. I have my arguments against Alessandra to defend myself, to defend my character, and we're just going to go at it, anger versus anger, in the law courts. Hopefully one of us wins. And Jesus says, no. As he comes up to you with some sort of feeling, some sort of accusation, Get peace out of that situation. Don't allow it to get to the systems of the earth because it's going to continually go in the same process that the earth has for us. Someone's guilty, someone's innocent. Someone's guilty, someone's innocent. And God is saying it's not even about that. It's not about that. And more often than not, our anger's a wounded or a deflated ego. I'll give you a perfect scenario. You get in your car, you're driving, everybody knows this example, you get cut off, you st- we have insults, you fool is, is like ridiculous in, in, in Jesus' time, and for us, we, we throw you fool like a joke, which is fine, we have more than enough insults to throw at people in our culture today. So we start throwing all these insults, oh no, I can't be angry, I can't do that, I'm a Christian, I can't do that. So you keep driving. The person has cut you up, but this has been burned into the back of your head. Someone cut me off. I'm late. Now my boss is mad at me. I can't yell at my boss because everything I do is unto the Lord. I can't yell at my boss. And then the day goes on. We get home. You open your door. Little Throny, my dog comes up to me to pet me. Get the heck off me. What are you doing? Because now I have found a person that's inferior to me, and I feel like my superiority and the anger I feel, I can throw you away and control the situation because I've been angry and I haven't been able to let it out on anybody, but now you're, get off, get away from me. And tail between the legs, ears down, hunched over, and the dog's looking at you, but I love you. And we're in anger. And this is what we do when we're harboring anger in in deflated egos and wounded egos. We take situations, we may not murder, like Jesus says, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. We don't murder, so we're good people, but we murder. I've murdered situations I've been in because of anger. 
I've murdered people's joy, people's confidence. And that's what Jesus is after. The, 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 the law of old tells you don't murder, but all of you are, all of us are feeling the same feelings that that murderer feels. He just has the guts to actually go on with it. And we have the same feelings. We just know I can't do that. But we're harboring those same feelings. And Jesus says, enough of that. I am here to show you a different way. Jesus is after making us who he's created us to be uniquely. And he's not going to be short of that. He's not going to fall short of that. You know, another quick example, I'm at the gym and Eros is starting to, Eros and John have boxing lessons now and again, and they box a little bit. And they're not doing it for anger, but there is people in the gym, and if you go to the gym, you see these people all the time, they, headphones on, not talking to anybody. They don't know what they're doing, but they're just swinging anything and everything they can at this bag. And everybody's response that just is, is, is working out is going, that person needs help. They don't know what they're doing, but you can tell in their face it's just anger hitting the bag the whole time. And that's okay. That's okay. The feeling of anger is not necessarily a sin. Here's the problem. You see that person doing the same thing every single week. Headphones on, hit the bag like crazy. And now you're saying to yourself, that's not freedom. That's not freedom, and that's not what God is after. Freedom, he has set us free for freedom, for freedom of holding on to these things and not being able to deal with them in a, kingly ma- in a kingdom matter, manner. And that's what he's after. He spoke about, Jesus speaks about being the light and salt of the world. That's what he's after. It's not after the behavior modification and cutting out all of these things, but holding on to all these feelings. The light and salt of the world preserve life. They give flavor to things. We have to be able to deal with these things in the manner that Jesus is showing us. And Jesus moves on to lust. So he goes from anger to lust. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus has a, has a good sense of humor, which none of us here and none of, none of them in that day would have looked at Jesus. Let's say he stopped at this because he continues going. It's just like a whole teaching. He continues going. But if he stopped there... I don't believe anybody in that day would say, yeah, you know what? He's right. I do look at women with lust in my eyes. I'm going to go home, Alessandro, start burning up a knife. We're going to pluck out my eyes. I can't do this anymore. Jesus said I can't do it anymore. We would have no limbs, no eyes, and enter the kingdom or walk to the, the gates of the kingdom as adulterers still with no limbs and no eyes. Because he's after, cut off the hand, cut off the physical act of adultery. He's, yes, that is very wrong. The law is right, but I'm here to fulfill the law. The physical act has to be cut out, but the eye also has to be cut out. The thought, the thought process and imagination that leads to the act also has to be plucked out. And Phil gave an example long time ago. 
about thoughts and taking every thought captive. And he said, we cannot stop the bird from landing on our head, but we can stop the bird from laying eggs, nesting on our head. Jesus was tempted. It is not a sin to be tempted. We're all human beings. It's a sin what we do with the temptation. And some of, some of the times, we will shoo the bird, but we'll make the nest nice and comfortable for the bird to come back anytime he pleases. And then the bird comes, and we shoo it when we think we're in control again. The bird, and Jesus is saying, the bird has to go, the nest has to go. The temptation will not go, but the other things will go by the power of, that I'm giving you, that I will give you. And Ben Witherington III, uh, a theologian, has a play on words to describe this process that Jesus is trying to get across in, the, in this teaching. And he says, the heart of the matter, so the heart of what Jesus is trying to get after is the matter of our hearts. He's after the whole, the whole message is for our hearts and the, the way our hearts deal with these things. And that's what Jesus is going after nonstop. He's not pulling back. He's not feeling sorry for any of us in the things that he's saying. And Dallas Willard says this, just as the thief is the person who would steal if circumstances were right, so the adulterer is the one who would have wrongful sex if the circumstances were right. Meaning, if it could not be found out by somebody. And that's what Jesus is asking us to check and evaluate in our hearts. If the circumstances were right, would we go with it? Would our imaginations go with that temptation? And Jesus is saying, that's not freedom. That's not the life I'm, I'm here to reveal to you. That's not the kingdom way. And then he, go, he moves on to divorce. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In the, in, the, in the culture that Jesus was in, again, he's saying of old, they, were saying, they, they told you you could, you could divorce, but you need to give a certificate of divorce. So the men in these days, which by the way, the men were the only people allowed to make the divorce happen. The woman had no say in, what, in, in the matter. The men were looked at on the outside as good gentlemen of the, of the society, of the culture, if they gave their wife a certificate of divorce. This is what the culture was saying. If you're going to divorce your wife, make sure you give her a certificate because if we catch your wife with someone else, we're going to say she's an adulterer and she's going to be put to death. So be a good guy and give her a certificate. Now, this is the culture back then. Imagine Kayla this morning. I came in here saying, guys, Kayla did not wake me up on time. And when she woke me up, she didn't wake me up with kisses, a rub on the back, and with a coffee. I'm done with Kayla. I'm going to give her their certificate in front of all of you. I'm going to give her the certificate. I'm done with Kayla. Divorce. That was the culture of the day. The men were allowed, if they did not feel pleased by their wife, to give them a certificate of divorce and go find someone else. Huge problem with that because you're leaving, they were leaving the women to anything and everyone. The women, according to Dallas Witter, he speaks on this. The women were left to most of the time prostitution to be able to, to provide for themselves because 
the other men that maybe would want to marry Kayla, okay, would never let her forget that she's a divorced woman. The broken goods, you're mine, I can do with you as I please, and if you don't please me like you didn't please the other guy, I'm going to divorce you again. And Jesus is looking at the, at the guys in the culture and saying, no, 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 no. This is not what divorce is about. This is not how you do things. You're literally making other people commit adultery because you're, you're dealing with the relationship of marriage as something as she doesn't please me anymore, I'm going to divorce. She didn't make me my coffee properly, I'm going to divorce. And Jesus is saying none of that. It's not about that. It's the matter of the heart that Jesus is after. So he says, except on the grounds of sexual immorality. Jesus understands the grave situations that some of marriages in all of society and all of history can get to sometimes. But there's a way of processing those things. Not, I don't feel like loving this person today, and I haven't for a week now, so I'm going to divorce her. That's not what Jesus is going after. And it, it, if you think of the story of Ruth and Boaz, it gives you a hint on why Boaz was such a perfect man and what is used in the Bible to show the, the kingdom culture, a, a heart that God has moved and changed because Boaz perfectly redeems Ruth. Ruth was left to herself to fend for herself and she could have easily been caught up in any of these situations that Dallas Willard talks about. But Boaz, being a man of God, sees the situation and says, I'm going to redeem this person. I'm going to redeem the situation that she's in. And I, I don't believe it's a coincidence that Jesus talks about divorce after anger and lust. If, if you backtrack and we can deal with the anger, if, G, if we allow Jesus to deal with our angle, anger and our pride and our lust issues, not, ju not just in, in Jesus' time, all across history, how many marriages would actually be healthier, working better, be in more of a love relationship if we can deal with those things before even getting to the matter of divorce. But that's besides the point. Jesus understands situations, and then he, he goes at it in saying, where you are now is what matters. The past is the past. The past has been dealt with. Where we are today matters. The Bible speaks about looking at the past and, and um, learning from those mistakes and not repeating those mistakes. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11. Now, these things happen to them as an example. Paul is talking about the Old Testament, to look at the Old Testament. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. Take the things as examples, where you are now, and let God reveal to you the situation that you're in and how to go about that situation. Again, you, and he moves on to Old, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Kids, give the best example of these. When you're at school and you see kids, oh, I, I met Beyonce last, last night with my parents. I went to Beyonce's concert and we had VIP tickets and I met Beyonce. And everybody's, 
no, you didn't. You did. I swear on my grandmother's life I did. And you're just like, wait, what? You're talking about Beyonce and you're throwing your grandmother's life, 90-year-old woman, into for us to believe that you met Beyonce. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And we, where do the kids get it from? From parents, from generations, from culture. We use oaths like I swear. Parents, I swear if you don't do this, you're going to be grounded. No. It, the, people now in relationships um, will swear an oath. I, I can't even think of an example. will swear an oath to make the other person do what they want them to do, to make them make their next decision according to my oath that I just said. Like, Alessandro, you know, you got to give me your infinity that's outside because... God knows uh, my car's going to break down in a month. No, that's not, that's not what Jesus is after. L simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do not influence the other person by the oath that you're, that you're making because you can't even make your hair white or you can't even make your hair black. Don't do that. Yes or no. And stick by that. Let God build your character that you're yes. And when I say yes to Yaku, he knows I mean yes. When I say no to Cole, he knows I mean no. Because God is creating and building a character inside of us. Then Jesus goes, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus is giving us pictures. He's, in, he's making observations into our life, into our culture, into our society, and giving us different pictures of how to live this life out, how to hear the word of God, and apply it into the situation that you're in. And he gives us examples of it. You know, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. He's making an observation in that culture. The Romans were in control at that time and could tell any Jew, you carry my, um, my shield, my sword, my anything. You take it to that person because that's where I'm going to be in, in an hour. I need you to take it there. And Jesus is saying, be, be a servant, be a person, a son and daughter of God, and help that person. Because that person, whether it's out of anger, whether it's out of any situation, is asking you for help, help the person. Show that person the love of God for in that situation. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Different pictures, different observations that God is revealing his, his heart to us. Then he moves on to, to, to uh, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and, the, and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus very quickly, we can skip over it, but very quickly gives us the character of God. He makes it rain on the unjust and the just. He brings his son out for the righteous and the unrighteous. Therefore, 
Do as he does. He has revealed himself to you. Do as he does. It's not, it's not that I don't have a problem with Alessandro, let's say. That doesn't make him my enemy. Alessandro hates me and is attacking me, and that's my enemy. What are we going to do with that enemy? What are we going to do how he reacts to us and how that person is attacking you? Then what are we going to do about it? The way we deal with those situations, the way we hear the word of God speaking to us in that situation, if we wait and listen and be attentive to the words of God, we will be sons of our Father. We will be salt and light in the world depending on how we respond to the voice of God. Not depending on how we respond to our feelings necessarily, but to the voice of God in that situation. And this, this, this whole, this whole ser- the, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it reminds me of kids and athletes now growing up, I believe, are so much better than the, than the athletes in the past. And the reason being is because the example the athletes before have left behind for them, that path to continue in, is so laid out for us that the athletes nowadays can look at a YouTube video and in two minutes do what that video's doing that it took that athlete years to do, years to do. And Jesus is saying, I'm bringing the kingdom of God and revealing the heart of God to us. Follow the example. And Matthew, if you look at the whole book of Matthew, he literally places the book of Matthew and the teachings. There's five teachings of Jesus according to the first five books of the Bible. It's this, this, this way of writing that in the whole first five books of the Bible, the law of God was given to the Israelites. 613 of them, I think it was. And it's written in the first five books that God gives them the Ten Commandments, and then the story of the people of God are given of how they failed to follow those Ten Commandments. So then God gives another set of rules or laws. And then the story of God's people, it shows how they failed in following those commandments, and so on and so on. This is how the first five books of the Bible are, are placed. And Matthew gives us five teachings of Jesus or five laws of Jesus in this new kingdom. One main difference. He shows how Jesus fulfilled those laws. He showed how Jesus walked out this kingdom. He didn't just let us do what we usually do, but he literally showed us Jesus fulfilled all of those things. And just like the writer in Hebrews said, by one sacrifice he's perfected those who who he is sanctifying. In this walk of ours, we will fall, we will fail, but Jesus is sanctifying us in that walk. He's lifting us back up to continue in a continual custom with a goal in front of us. Think about Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus at the end of it asked him, three times, do you love me? He denied him three times, and Jesus redeems Peter three times asking him, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Do we think if Peter had failed a fourth time, Jesus would have asked him a fourth time or a fifth time or a sixth time? Like Chan said this morning, all three people are equally valued. All three people are equally loved. God will continually show himself to us. Every single time we think we failed, he's there to help us. And Peter ends up writing in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, you are a chosen race. This is from the revelation that God has given him. He can write, you, people that may not know God and are starting to, to see God, us, 
We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a perfect people, a people that will continually grow in the things of God and continually go in a path to pleasing God and being sons and daughters of God. And I'll finish with, with, with this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, The command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into the creatures that can obey that command. That is, that is walking in the things of God and, and, and hearing the, the word of God and seeking the heart of God. He will create us into, into things that we could have never imagined. And he will create us into a person and a people that will follow his commands. Because Jesus has already done it for us. So Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the the foundation that you've placed in our lives. That we can firmly stand on. And things may shake around us, Father. Things may look terrible around us but we can stand firmly on your foundation of grace, of love, of power, of transformation, God. Knowing that you will never leave us and that you will always be with us, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.